Thank you for joining us today. We're recording the second episode of Phenomenal Women Leading. Today's guest is Miss Alana Renee Simmons. Quote from Miss Simmons, I started the Hate Won't Win movement to prevent hate from destroying our communities, but over the years, it's grown to be so much more. It's been three years of pain, but progress. Three years of despair, but determination. Three years of humbling truths and amazing grace. We honor the ones that we lost. They were legitimately some of the most beautiful people to walk this earth. We love them and we miss them. Thank you so much, Ms. Simmons. How are you today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I am doing great. Good. Thank you for joining the Phenomenal Women Leading Podcast. You, my dear, are indeed a phenomenal woman leading in our community. Well, thank you for inviting me. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Can you share a little bit about you? Sure. Um, my name is Alana Simmons. As you mentioned, um, I'm from Newport News, Virginia. I uh, matriculated through Elizabeth City State University in North Carolina. I got my master's at Norfolk State in Virginia. And in 2015, I moved to South Carolina after the Mother Emanuel shooting. Under very troubling times, you relocating to the state of South Carolina. Can you share a little bit about that process and um, those times for you and your family? Sure. So um, I remember that night like it was yesterday. My father called me and he told me about a shooting that had happened at my grandfather's church and the likelihood of him being present that day. Immediately, it didn't register to me because you just don't hear about shootings happening inside of a church, um, at least not at the time. And um, when it did register and I got home and I turned on the TV and I saw, you know, Charleston, South Carolina shooting a mass shooting inside the church. And it was just like a moment where I just kind of went into immediate prayer and um, not just for my grandfather, but for the people in Charleston, the people at the church, the families of the people who were at the church. And um, it wasn't until the next day that it was confirmed that my grandfather was indeed present that night and um, that he had passed in surgery after sustaining several gunshot wounds. And um, when we learned the nature of the crime or the motive behind the crime, it was just really another blow to the stomach to know that not only was it a violent crime, but it was a hate crime. And it happened in 2015, and it was committed by a white supremacist um, against people who were doing nothing but conducting a Bible study and at the time of the shooting praying. And it was very surreal for me, you know, growing up in Newport News uh, it is a very urban area. And so there wasn't a lot of, I guess, exposure to a lot of different races, even though it's a big military town, the part of Newport News I'm from is pretty much black. And then I went to black schools and then I went to two historically black colleges and universities. And so um, it wasn't until I got here that I was my first experience with racism um, because there were no people, you know, really close to us to, to treat us um, differently. And um, it was just really surreal to have to deal with Mother Emanuel um, as soon as we got to South Carolina. And then when coming to Columbia, um, 
seeing the Confederate flag debate going on. So the summer was not the typical summer that a teacher uh, would uh, like to enjoy. I was a, a former educator and I got that call on the last day of school. So I was prepared for a summer of just enjoying being kid free and 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 that's what we got that summer. Um so it was it was difficult um but the people of South Carolina definitely wrapped their arms around us and our families and it made it um a less horrific experience but it did still leave us with a charge that we have to do something so that this doesn't happen again. So First, let me apologize sincerely. I regret to hear that that was your introduction to the Palmetto State and under uh, such horrific circumstances, Um, especially during a period of time that you were looking forward to fun Mm -hmm. and relaxation. And not only did you have to, um, you know, say farewell to your grandfather, but you had to do so in a time that was you know, uh, troubling and disheartening and, and, and honestly, um, very, you know, everyone was not getting along at, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of confrontation, um, especially through the movement of the Confederate flag being Mm -hmm. removed. We've seen the footage, we've heard the debates, um, and we, we saw the rallies, um, to remove that. It was successfully removed in the state of South Carolina, but it took this, unfortunately, um, to really take that conversation to that level um, of action. And so I regret to hear that that was your um, personal experience in that process. Tell us about your grandfather and his legacy. So my grandfather, Reverend Daniel Simmons Sr., um, he worked and lived in Columbia for a while. He retired from the VA. He was in the military. Um, he retired to go to Charleston. And um, he wanted to be at Mother Emanuel because he loved Charleston. He loved the history. My grandfather uh, was an advocate for education. There was not a graduation that he missed for any of his grandchildren, all located in Virginia, um, because he just really valued education. And he was very proud of us for um, taking that same stance and valuing education. Um, he, I didn't know that he did as much of the, in the community as what he did until after he passed because he was so to himself about, you know, his accolades. And so when we got to his home after the shooting and I was just like, oh, I didn't know, you know, granddaddy did this. I didn't know he did that. I didn't know he did this. And because he was just like kind of like that quiet storm when it comes to doing his community work. But uh, with his personality, he was definitely stern. And so he was he had a very stately presence, (laughs) I guess is the best way to say it, that when he came in a room, you noticed that he came in the room. And if he had something to say, you know that he was serious about what he was saying. Um, So, you know, a lot of people love my grandfather. We loved our grandfather. But one of the things that he really um, took heed to um, with us was that making sure that we take legacy serious when it comes to our family. And so when he died and then the nature that he died, it was really important for me to make sure that the legacy that he has is not one that is centered around how he died, 
but centered around how he lived and that we continue his legacy um, not in hate but in love because that would literally be exactly what Dylan Roof wanted. He wanted to start a race war. Um, he said that very clearly to investigators and anyone who he chose to talk to and and that just wasn't something that I was willing to um, let happen. Yes. Now, speaking of legacy, um, and you mentioned that your grandfather was proud of you and his grandchildren, but I know he's beaming with so much pride um, in the phenomenal things that you've done in the midst of all this tragedy and pain. Um, through this, you started the Hate Won't Win movement, and that was birthed literally during your press conference, your remarks um, mm -hmm. during the trial. Share those with us. So in the um, bond hearing, like a few days after the shooting occurred, I remember all the families being present there. And because we're a family from Virginia, we didn't really know um, anyone there. But it was a very kind of somber presence in the courtroom that day. And I remember the judge offering the families an opportunity to make remarks to the shooter. And so we... Um, originally I was like, well, I'm not saying anything because I don't have anything nice to say. <laughs> so I'm just going to sit here and, and wait until this is over mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of get up out of here. But um, I remember God really humbling me in that moment that Miss Nadine Collier, her her mother was at the land. She, she too passed away, but she got up and she said, I forgive you. Mm -hmm. And if anybody could have been there, you know, they would have seen the the strength that it took because mm -hmm. she was in like we were all in emotional pain and spiritual pain but she looked like she was in physical pain to say and do what she did mm -hmm. and I really just felt like God humbled me in that moment and um, when he called for the Simmons family the one myself who said that we shouldn't say anything said I think I should say something mm -hmm. and so um I hadn't planned on saying anything and I got up and I just kind of spoke from my, my heart and what I believe God laid on my heart to say, which was that although my grandfather died at the hands of hate, he lived in love, he preached love, his legacy will be love. So hate won't win. And um, I sat down and I was just like, okay, I said, you know, okay, God, I did what you told me to do. And That's we left. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I got on my phone, I, I saw that the hashtag hate won't win was everywhere. I had no idea that we were on CNN or NBC or I thought the cameras were just there so that he can see us and we could see him. I didn't know they were national news outlets. And so the hate won't win hashtag had just went viral wow. before I even got out the courtroom. And I guess in a sense of advocacy and like creating a legacy that would honor my grandfather and the other victims, you know, I was like, okay, I'm tired of seeing Dylan Roof's mugshot all over my my timeline. I'm just sick of it. I'm tired of that being the the number one thing that we're talking about. We need to talk about the people who uh, were alive and how we can prevent this from happening again. And so we took the hate won't win hashtag and we attached it to a social media challenge. And the social media challenge was simple. Go out, find somebody different, show an act of love, post it, hashtag hate won't win. And um, it, you know, kind of took off. And when we met President Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama, um, 
they saw and heard about our hashtag. They saw our logo, which was a black hand and a white hand making a heart with the words hate won't win in the middle. And um, when they tweeted it out, you know, what a great effect a presidential person using their Twitter for good um, could have on a situation, right? Right. So um, they tweeted it out and, um, you know, it just really kind of went global at that point and people were wanting to buy t-shirts and use the hashtag and participate in the challenge and I was like wow you know people are wanting to donate to a cause so maybe we should make this a non-profit and what we do now is um, we have our five initiatives in the fields of education politics community and family and media but uh, we collect money to be able to give back to victims of hate crimes. Amazing, mm-hmm. amazing. Um, because oftentimes, you know, similar to when you have deaths in your immediate family or circle, you get the outpour of support right away. Mm-hmm. But once the ceremony is over and the, you know, the, every, all of the mm-hmm. um, events and leading up to it and the wakes and the repasts and all of those things are done and people have long gone, you know, those people are still grieving. Mm-hmm. They're still missing their loved ones. And so your organization is designed to continue to help and support those loved ones um, at times like this, especially at times when you don't have you don't have the opportunity to prepare for the mm-hmm. life that's being taken away from you. Yeah. And it, it was different, you know, when all the cameras were there and um, all the people were there and people were, you know, reaching out to us, asking how they could support us. And, and, and I knew that hate crimes in South Carolina, particularly because they're is no hate crime legislation even now three years after one of their peers was shot and killed in a hate crime um there still is no hate crime legislation so these victims in the state of south carolina essentially have no support because they can't we south carolina could not even convict dylan roof of a hate crime the fbi came in to do to do the trial like all south carolina could do was convict him of murder but they couldn't convict him of a hate crime because there is no such thing as a hate crime in South Carolina. So my face, I know to my <laughs> to our listeners, yeah. mm-hmm. my face literally just my mouth dropped, mm-hmm. my eyes widened, mm-hmm. and honestly, it's getting a little teary because I am shocked, yeah, to say the least. And it's not for trying, like not because no one has presented it. Like, they've been trying to get hate crime legislation. I guess, you know, me coming into South Carolina politics on um, a different, you know, coming in new, I I didn't know how long it took for the Confederate flag to come down and how much it took for the Confederate flag to come down. But um, for the legislator to believe that there is no need for hate crime legislation in a state where one of the most horrific hate crimes actually took place just three years ago is absolutely ridiculous. And uh, we have to push our local elected officials to push our statewide elected officials to vote for this and to keep bringing it back up because there's no support for the people 
who um, may have passed or been injured or affected by hate crimes that didn't get a national platform. The only reason that we've had the support that we had is because we had a national platform. But South, the people of South Carolina were um, supportive on the ground, but the leaders in South Carolina were not supportive in pushing that legislation through to be able to prosecute Dylan Roof. Oh, wow. Yeah. So do you know where it stands three years later with that particular? I don't even think it's on the table. Um, I know that um, there have been some representatives who have um, attempted to to get it to the table for a vote, but I, I don't know that it's even gotten out of committee yet. Mm-mm-mm. You have been remarkable of using this platform to speak up and speak against hate and, um, you know, racism, racial inequities um, within our communities. Talk about your experience with, you know, using Hate Won't Win movement to now Hate Won't Win also being a nonprofit and serving um, the citizens, not only of the state of South Carolina, but beyond. It's been a very interesting experience. Like I mentioned, I was an educator. I taught music before all of this. And so I went to school to teach music. And that's what I was trying to do, teach music. And um, just kind of using the skill set that I learned from teaching and putting that into a completely different field in a completely different area has um, it's been challenging, but it's also been rewarding. Um, because it was a shift that I wasn't necessarily prepared for in the natural. I think I was ready for it spiritually because it didn't break us. But in the natural, like, I, I was not prepared to be here or be in this moment. But, I, I, you know, I got ready. Exactly. So um, just kind of going around the country and speaking to different people, speaking to churches and schools and businesses and and other nonprofits who are now willing to have the conversation, a, a candid conversation on race relations and not like a debate. Um, the the thing with Mother Emanuel is this is non-debatable. If you did if you didn't catch it, um, the mayor at the time, Joe Rowley, got on the news that night and declared that this was racial bigotry. It wasn't like these um, police shootings that you see where everybody tries to debate whether or not it was racial or not, or it's not like with a racial disparities report comes out where people try to debate whether or not these numbers are real. This was a real situation, um, and it was very clear. It was confessed. It was proven. It it had all the checks um, on the checklist to declare this an outright hate crime on innocent people, elderly people. Nobody can debate an 87-year-old woman being gunned down while she's praying after Bible study. Nobody can debate that that's not a hate crime. And so if our community wants to experience the grace of racial reconciliation, they have to first acknowledge the truth of where this came from. And that's been a lot of what I've been doing is talking about the truth. I've noticed that, especially here, a lot of things are whitewashed. 
And because of that, it's hard for communities to come together. Like you can't have the white community can't expect grace from the black community if they're not willing to be truthful. And um, whether it's they don't know or whether it's because they know and they don't want to admit it, either way, it still hurts. And then um, for the black community, once that truth is expressed, we still don't get anywhere for ourselves unless we release the grace and move on. Like we can hold on to our anger and we have great reason to be angry, but for us to move on together, it has to be both parts. Like I can't go to one more um, forum on race and it be all black people. That's counterproductive. So people have to be willing to come to the table and have to be willing to have the conversation. And I believe that the hate won't win movement because of it being birthed out of Mother Emanuel brings people to the table ready to discuss the truth because it's a non-debatable issue. It's not a partisan thing. Like, this is what happened, and now we have to talk about what we can do to prevent this from happening again. And so through that process, you're discussing, and you said you were a a teacher, you taught music, (laughs) and so you were kind of thrown into this role. And so you're truly operating with the essence of phenomenal women leading because you had to use this tragedy, but move forward to help the community and beyond talk about these leadership skills that you then whether you knew it at the time or not ended up having to literally pull out and lead with moving forward so that's a loaded question so (laughs) one of the um leadership skills that i had to kind of embrace was unplugging um because it's once you've been the news, it's different when you watch the news. And so, like, I can't watch everything that's going on. I can't know everything that's going on because once you've been the news, you take it on. Like, oh, like when you see a mass shoot. Now when I see and hear about a mass shooting, I I want to be informed of what's going on, but I have to take my time. Like, knowing what I can handle was very important because I, I found out quickly that I, I can't handle, you know, watching something like Parkland or 24-7 or watching like a Sandy Hook or watching like a Pulse nightclub. I can't handle that and still be healthy enough to do Hate Won't Win. And so having that self-care is really, really important in knowing what you need to be able to be good for what you're intended to be here for is really important. Another aspect of it for me was being um, spiritually healthy. Um, I didn't know how spiritually healthy I thought, you know, that I was, but I found out really quickly. It was, um, you know, kind of being in my, my Bible more, being in church more um and and I grew up in church and different things like that so um and I was a church musician so I was in church every Sunday but after experiencing something like that you you really do value spiritual health more because you again if you're going to pour into people you have to be full of something and so for me um just 
being full of Christ helped me to be able to share love in the face of hate. Um, and then outside of that, getting really, really good at multitasking. Um, it's something that I really didn't want to do, but as a teacher, you know, you multitask all the time. You know, you have to do lesson plans. You have to teach. You have to do the extracurricular stuff. You know, you have to do talk with the parents and all these different things. And um, for me, like, Hate Won't Win is my non-for-profit. I don't want to make any money off of Hate Won't Win. I literally have not made a dollar off of it because I don't want to. Um, that's so I need a for profit <laughs> with that being said, because I have a target in Starbucks habit that, so that's why I was like, okay, yes. Yeah, so let me get my, uh, so I'm a realtor now. Mm-hmm. And, um, in Virginia, I was a full-time teacher, part-time realtor. And when I moved here, I became a full-time realtor, part-time teacher. And I, um, had hate won't win, but I recently had to let the teaching thing go so that I could just kind of leave it to two. And, um, you know, being really good at multitasking is important for leaders um, outside of the, the physical and the mental and the spiritual health, but then also continuing education. Like, I think a lot of people, they get the accolades, they get the awards, they get the positions, and then they stop working towards something. They stop working towards being better because they feel like they have arrived, and so I have to take time to still read about education. I have to take the time to read about real estate. I have to take time to read about what's going on in social justice and civil rights and different things like that. Uh, Because when I do get somewhere, I want to still have something to offer the people that I'm there to serve. And just having that mentality of I'm not here to lead. I'm here to push others. I don't want to be in front. I never wanted to be in front. I didn't know that this was going to go viral or I probably wouldn't have did it. Um, I like to be, you know, the behind the scenes person. But um, in this instance, kind of going way out of my comfort zone with keynoting, you know, that that's not my comfort zone. But I've gotten comfortable with it. And as soon as I got comfortable with it, here comes more stuff that I'm uncomfortable with that I have to get comfortable with. And so it's just a series of pushing yourself, but keeping in mind that I'm not doing this for me, because if I was doing it just for me, I would have been quit. Right. You're doing it for the greater good. And you said a you said a, um, va- a valuable point there in making sure you continue to do the work. Yeah. Because the work is what's important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even with the accolades and and the um, acknowledgments, you're continuing to do the work. You're continuing to serve the people in the community who needs it the most. Mm-hmm. And you're embracing because every time you get to another level, there comes other things yeah. that are going to make you even more uncomfortable. And that is so common in leadership because you continue to get elevated to the next level in which you have to learn and you have to regroup and you have to adjust and you have to strengthen some areas that you may have been weak in so that you can accurately and effectively lead at that new level. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us any tips or suggestions or recommendations that you have for others who are seeking to lead on issues that they're passionate about in their communities. 
I think collaboration is one thing. That's one thing that I was like kind of uncomfortable with that I had to get comfortable with really quickly. Um, I, it disheartens me to come to a community and see, say, 10 mentoring groups where everybody is mentoring, you know, kids age 12 to 14 in the field of music. And that's just like for an example. I'm like, okay, you got 10 separate organizations because everybody wants to have their own. Why not just make one big organization and make a bigger impact? And so, like, one of my tips is definitely collaborate with the people in the community. It Your name does not have to be. I know we're in, you know, Instagram, Facebook, social media age where your name is your brand. But I, I just haven't fully subscribed to, you know, my name being my brand. I, I want my work to be my brand. Um, and just kind of staying rooted in that because, you know, pride comes before the fall. And you put yourself in front of enough, you put yourself, you know, in these positions where you can get prideful and you're going down. And that's just what I believe. So um, just kind of staying with that collaboration and um, service kind of being in the forefront of everything um, is, is definitely um, one tip that I have. What was the question? I started answering it. <laughs> what are some suggestions and recommendations for people who are seeking to lead on uh, in their communities? Oh, yeah. Yes, mentorship, finding a really good mentor. Um, there are a lot of people who are willing to do it. Um, and if you just find the right people, like, and, and you're not going to find like a one person who's good for everything. Like, I would have one mentor that I'm like, I really like the way she multitasks. So I'm going to go to her to figure out how she multitasks. And, or you go to another woman, like, I really like how she is there for her family. I love the kind of mother and the wife that she is. Like, I'm going to figure out from her how to do this. And I'm going to figure out from her how to run a business. And you just kind of pull from people what you need and what they're willing to offer to kind of be the person that you need to be. So mentorship is important. Collaboration is important. And then I always, always go to remaining healthy and having balance. Like, I would be very dysfunctional if I did hate, won't win stuff every day. You just can't. I have to have a balance of, you know, my personal life, my professional life, my spiritual life. It has to be balanced because I, I'm just a, a believer in anything done in excess is done wrong. If you do anything in excess, you're going to be biased and you're only going to get the extreme of people um, to work with you because people need balance. Like we're not here to solely work. We're not here to solely be with our families. We're not here to solely, you know, climb our own ladders. We're here to like God blesses people through people. And so if you're only a person for yourself, then who are you really blessing? And then who is really blessing you? And so um, I'm just a true advocate for making sure that people stay balanced and healthy in whatever it is that you do. And so if that means that I can't send out all my emails today, if that means that I miss out on an opportunity, then so be it. Don't beat yourself up about it. But I would much rather be, you know, physically 
healthy than, you know, exhausted from doing too much traveling or something like that. It's so funny you brought up, and I don't know about you ladies, but I am taking copious notes in here. <laughs> uh, Alana is phenomenal. Um, but one of the things that she brought up is the mentorship component. And um, I have what I call a personal board of trustees. <laughs> I do. I like that. I have a personal board of trustees and I identify just like what you said. I identify people that I look to in those particular um, areas of life, whether it's business or, you know, financial independence or um, the way that they mother or the way that they lead this particular organization or the way that they carry themselves in social settings. You know, I was just about to say that I forgot um, being physically or feeling physically good about yourself. Mm -hmm. For me, I can be good in a meeting, but I'll be great in a meeting if my hair is done. Like, so, you know, you get into these situations where you get into um, getting overloaded in service and work and being this to this person and that to that person. And, but I just believe when you look good, you feel good. So I will shut my phone down for a day to do my DIY, my facials and uh, do something to my hair Pouring my nails you. and you know have my date at Target yes like I will do that um, because when I'm refreshed and I feel like okay I look when I when you feel good and you look good it definitely helps you it to, does. it mm -hmm. draws people to you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it helps you to exude the confidence yes inside mm-hmm so as we wrap up this powerful conversation i mean this was the second episode you guys so wow it's been awesome having this discussion with you um as we wrap up i do have a, a few of my questions that i plan to um close out each interview with so the first one would be uh what do you think what do you want your leadership legacy to be mm, that's a good one I think I would want my leadership legacy to be one of the hearts where whether or not, because I know I'm going to make mistakes. I know that I've had made mistakes, but I want people to see my heart in it. And I want for my heart to remain pure in it. A lot of people get into leadership uh, positions for the right reasons. And then somewhere along the line become jaded. And I don't want that to happen to me. I want to stay grounded. I want to stay. I want my heart and my intentions to remain pure. And my hope is that the people that I am leading can see that in me. Beautiful. Um, when you're doing this work and you're uh wanting to make sure your heart is pure how do you then stay motivated and inspired while doing the work now that's a hard one because um just working a nonprofit in a very kind of grim field it's hard to stay motivated to do this because every time you check one box another box comes on the list so um for me it's different because my, my grandfather was immediately in this. And so if I ever want to be reminded of why I'm doing this, it's nothing for me to be like, okay, my grand, or to think that my grandfather 
passed away in a hate crime. If the situation was flipped and he had to make a decision whether or not to quit on me, he wouldn't do it. And so I, I can't I can't do it, even though I might want to at times because I just want to free my brain of some space and I can't. And so kind of just keeping why you started in the forefront is probably my my best answer to that. I um I subscribe to two quotes in particular that um, I share with the Phenomenal Women Leading Community, and those are, number one, empowered women empower women, and number two, when women work together, incredible things happen. What do those two quotes mean to you? Like what we mentioned earlier, um, it takes a village, and it doesn't just take a village, you know, to raise a child. Like, I am the product of a village of people. Like, yes, my mother is phenomenal, but I also had amazing women teachers. I had amazing women um, who were at my church. I had amazing women who were in my sorority. Like, it, it was, it's a, I am the product of a village of women who have had their hands on me, who have um, prayed for me, who have um, supported me, who have taught me. And keeping that mindset of it takes a village to be who you are or you have a village uh, helps you keep everything in perspective and helps you to help be someone else's village. And, like, women particularly, we get into this, I don't know if it's by nature or what, but we get into these really competitive arenas, and it's just like, I don't like her because she looks better than me. How about you just go ask her who does her hair? Right. Like, instead of being mad that her <laughs> right. hair looks better, right. just ask her who does her hair. Right. Like, Or if you want her waistline, just go with her to the gym. I don't know. But it's just like we, we get to the point where we get so competitive to where it blocks opportunity. And like I mentioned earlier, like every instance in the Bible where God blessed somebody, he did it through another person. So if you're blocking you're preaching people, here. Yeah, if you're blocking mm-hmm. people out of your lives, then you're blocking blessings. blessings. And yes, so ma'am. I'm all for, you know, the people. I'm all for women who want to collaborate. I'm all for women who want to be a part of my village or want me to be a part of their village. Because it's it's something that I know helped me. And if I can just give back to what people gave to me, then, you know, I know I'm in good standing. Amazing. Yeah. Do you all <laughs> see why I love her? I love <laughs> Alana. I first met Alana, and for those of you who know, who tuned in before, you know, my oldest daughter's name is Alana. So when I first met her and I read about her and I knew she was doing these amazing things in our community, my daughter has to meet her namesake. <laughs> <laughs> she probably thought I was a little stalkerish at no. first. <laughs> I was excited to meet another Alana. Yeah, and they spell it the same way in everything. Yes, and so I'm just so proud of you. And uh, let me congratulate you too. I, I must share um, your recent accomplishments. Um, you were quoted, actually, you were featured in Essence Magazine, correct? Yes. Um, but you were also um, featured um, in Glamour Magazine, uh-huh. um, um, sharing your um, 
heartfelt sympathy as well as, you know, your suggestions and tips with um, grieving and the aftermath of dealing with um, situations such as yours and the uh, families faced in Las mm-hmm. Vegas and Florida and other places. Um, and you were recently honored by the Coretta Scott King. Yes, the, Tell um, us about that. The King Foundation uh, or the King Center um I've my first unity walk. So every year um, the hate won't win movement does a unity walk in Charleston. And we just invite people from all over to uh, come just stand in solidarity. You know, we, we try to keep it as far from political as possible because we want a diverse group of people there um, to just remind them of what happened at Mother Emanuel, but then also to charge them with using their own individual platforms. Cause I think a lot of people get that mixed up that they have to be, you know, they have to have a comma with all these initials behind their name to be a leader when everybody has a platform one way or another and just using their individual platforms to unify their community. And so our first year we had um, Dr. King to come and uh, for the viewers who don't know, she's the daughter of Mar- uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And, um, she, Dr. Bernice King came and she just delivered like this amazing message, but she also got an opportunity to see what um, we were doing with the hate won't win movement and our lives, you know, are, even though I don't have like a whole foundation, (laughs) our lives are very um, parallel. And so we really connected and her um, organization um, awarded me with the Coretta Scott King Angel Award for Young Leaders. Um, in the areas of social justice and nonviolence and peace. And I was like, I was floored one when they called, but I really just honored to be um, acknowledged by a family who went through what we went through, even on like a more intense um, level. But for them to say, hey, we see what you're doing, Uh, we like what you're doing and we want you to keep doing it. Um, That definitely, you know, kind of helped me and kept me motivated to, to do more. That's amazing. um, Incredible. And such an honor. I'm so proud of you to receive that distinction um, for what you're doing. Much needed work. Yes. Um, And we want to continue to support you and we want to continue to encourage you on this journey. So please tell us as the Phenomenal Women Leading Community, how can we support you? How can we um, Um, be a part of the work that you're doing. Tell us how we can reach you and connect with you as well. Well, as with any nonprofit, time and money, those are the two things that any nonprofit organization needs the most. Like I mentioned, our money goes to um, helping and supporting other victims of hate crime. And our time goes to teaching people about how to prevent it from happening. So if anybody can find any kind of platform that they would like or avenue that they think the hate won't win movement would fit into, um, they can go to our website, www.hatewontwinmovement.com. There you'll see um, some just some of the things that we were doing. I don't want to overload my website, but some of the things that we've been doing. They can reach out to us. Um, They can send us emails um, directly from the website. And then participating in our social media challenge is major. Uh, We have our Facebook is at hate won't win movement. 
And up there is where a lot of people have been um, posting their their hate won't win um, challenge. And we just try to share them and and different things like that. They could see more about what other people outside of myself are doing with the hate won't win challenge. And on Twitter and Instagram, we're at hate won't win underscore. So, um, yeah, just following us, reaching out to us, collaborating, donating time more so money <laughs> but uh but definitely uh one of the two if not both would be amazing now these famous t-shirts yes. that have <laughs> been adorned by steve harvey president and first lady obama yes. other celebrities yes, local um, leaders from morning joe morning joe now how can we get those shirts you can go online and um, up there you'll definitely be able to purchase uh, one of the t-shirts. The other places that people normally get them is when I um, come to their events. I normally have t-shirts and literature about um, the hate won't win movement for people to be able to purchase them in, in person. Um, so we do group orders like we've done some group orders for schools who may have. Um, I, I spoke at one school in Atlanta who had a, a week of understanding and they wanted to. It was a, a phenomenal event, but they, I came and keynoted the, the week and told them about my story. And um, I just talked with the kids. They were third, fourth and fifth graders. And we just talked about what hate is on their level um, and not kind of like not on the CNN level, but just kind of right. just on their level so that they can understand. But um, the proceeds from the T-shirts do go to, you know, the same stuff, the victims um, of hate crimes and being able to support them. Um, last thing, I spoke at um, the YMCA had a Good Friday breakfast in Portland, Oregon, and I spoke there um they had had a hate crime committed like two two years prior and i came out there there was a, a young two teenage girls um, one was black and one um was muslim she was wearing a hijab on the um on the transit and this white supremacist like just kind of came out of nowhere threatening them um on on the transit nobody could really you know they couldn't get away and so three men stepped in to try to protect them. Two of them died um, after being stabbed to death. And one of them was critically injured after being stabbed in the neck. Um, and, you know, it was a real wake up for that community, uh, a wake up call for that community that they have to do something. So um, we honored those victims by um, purchasing a wreath and laying it at the, um, at the feet of uh, where, uh, the hate crime happened and left our logo and and it's still there today I think that was like three or four months ago and people still go by and it just helps them to remember that this happened and that we have to do something about it and that's kind of what we want to do help to be able help other communities to remember and not just to remember you know like light a candle say a prayer remember but remember like remember I have to do something you mentioned too um, that you you're going to these schools and you're going to mm -hmm. these churches and these conferences and sharing your story and doing speaking engagements. How do they connect and book you personally if you are available? Um, through our website, um, a lot of people just email me directly. Um, our email is hate won't win at gmail .com. And um, if anyone is interested in having me to come speak or share my story 
or even do I've, I've done a workshop um, before as well if they're interested in that you know the email is the best way to get us but I've also you know Steve Harvey show reach out to me on Facebook so uh you know face social media the website and our email at hate um, hate won't win at gmail.com um, are the best ways to get in contact with me so it's so appropriate on the Hate Won't Win Movement Facebook page. You have a quote by the beloved Dr. Maya Angelou. And um, for our listeners, they know that Phenomenal Women Leading pays homage to her um, because that was one of my favorite points of all time that helped me evolve and develop into the woman that I am. And so the quote that you have is hate. It has caused a lot of problems in the world, but it has not solved one yet by Dr. Mm -hmm. Maya Angelou. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was very fitting to share that quote as we end this segment. And before you go, you have to end with a charge. Um, like Dr. Maya Angelou, her poem says, I'm a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman, that's me. So we kind of remixed it a little okay. bit. <laughs> it's, a, it's I'm a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman leading, that's me. I think I could say that. All right. All right so you're, you're going to say close, with me. You're going to close with your name. You're going to say, I'm... Alana Simmons. And I'm a... Phenomenal woman leading phenomenally. That wasn't <laughs> that it. Was, that was close, though. That was close? That was okay. Really close. One more time. I got it this time. You got it. All right. Say it one more time. My name is Ashley. I'm a woman phenomenally. Phenomenal woman leading. That's me. I don't have it, but I'm going to try. I'm Alana <laughs> Simmons. Phenomenally. A woman leading phenomenally? That wasn't right. But she's so cute doing it. <laughs> it wasn't right. I really she's tried. She's so cute, though. <laughs> she's so cute. And she's a woman phenomenally. Phenomenal woman leading. That's Alana R. Simmons. Thank you. <laughs> Thank See you. Collaboration. Collaboration is the key. Thank you all so much for tuning in to the second episode of Phenomenal Women Leading with our guest today, Mrs. The Dynamic Phenomenal mm -hmm. Woman Leading, Alana R. Simmons. Please make sure you tune in to her social media platforms, Hate Won't Win. And make sure you join in on our community. Uh, we do have a Facebook group closed for just the women leaders out there. It's Phenomenal Women Leading. You can request an ad to that group. And you can also follow our public pages on all platforms, Phenomenal Women Leading. That's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, and those public pages are for everyone, women, women, men, um, children, everyone to join us to support the dynamic women who are out here leading um, courageously and boldly in our communities um, across the state and throughout our nation. If you would, please take a minute, do a review. If you like today's episode, write a rating, do a review. Make sure you subscribe to our channel so that you get an update um, for upcoming episodes. We look forward to hearing from our next Phenomenal 
woman leading, Miss Rosalind Goodwin, will be on the next episode. She is the co-inventor of Gabby Bows. So we look forward to listening to her and learning from her next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Go to Phenomenal Women Leading on all major platforms join this discussion and tag a phenomenal woman let them know that they are rock stars and we may contact them to interview them soon thank you so much